The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Good morning. Um, we are reading from Romans chapter 1, um, and so there are some Bibles that are scattered underneath uh, some of your chairs in the rows, and we're going to be found on page 939. Okay, so the scripture reference is Romans 1, 8 through 15. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do, not want to, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. This is God's word. So uh, we're still in the beginning, the introduction of Paul's letter, because remember the, the, this book of Rome was actually a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. He had not been to Rome before. Right now, about this point in his ministry, he's been church planting for about 25 years. He's on his third missionary journey, which is a, a loop. A, in, in, this, in this day and age, it would have been an incredibly arduous hard journey that he would have taken three times around the eastern Mediterranean, planting churches, then going back and strengthening the churches that he has planted. Most of the time, going into cities and places that had never heard the gospel before. And now he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's been on this last third journey. There's been a, there's a famine coming to Jerusalem, and he's been warned by the Spirit. And so they, they've gone through, and they've gone to each church along the way, each Gentile church, that means a non-Jewish church, around the Mediterranean, and he's been collecting a collection to take back to the church in Jerusalem to bless the church in Jerusalem, which is where Christianity had come from. And he's hoping that that's going to be a, a great blessing to the church in Jerusalem that's going to help kind of heal some of the rifts that have been kind of going on and people figuring out, like, how does this uh, Christianity, which began as sort of a sprung out of Judaism and is now spread to people who are not Jews, how does that all work together in the same church? And he's hoping it's going to be a blessing to them. And as he is, he's thinking about, hey, after I get to Jerusalem, you know what I want to do? Some of you guys here are thinking, you're like, after we finish the service, you know where I, what I want to do? I want to go to lunch. And where are we going to go to lunch? I don't feel like Mediterranean, but I know my wife wants Mediterranean. And you guys, you have this discussion in your head. Paul is thinking as he's on this arduous journey back to his homeland, back to Jerusalem, he's thinking, hey, you know what I want to do? I want to go again where the gospel has never been proclaimed. I want to go to Spain. And, and in fact, in order to get there, I know it's a really long journey. It's further than I've been. I'm going to need to stop in Rome, the capital city. And I know there's a church there. And I, man, I'm, as the apostle, the sent minister to the Gentile churches, I need to go there and, and help them. And also, I'm going to ask them to help me along the way to get me to Spain. Can they support me and give me what I need to finish this leg to get to Spain so I can plant a church where there has been no church, I can preach the gospel. Where there has been no gospel, I can see people come to Christ. Where there has been, it has not been. And so as he's, as he's writing to the church in Rome to, to do that, he's really introducing himself. They would have heard who Paul is. He's the, the apostle to the Gentiles. He's been around for 25 years. He's not new. They would have heard about him. They would have known about him. But he's introducing himself to them, and he's, it's interesting the language that he uses, which is kind of where we're going to, going to sit this morning. The language that Paul uses as he's writing to a church of Gentiles, so Paul, a Jew, writing to a Gentile church. So they previously, before Paul, we mentioned it last week, before Paul was a Christian, he would have never, unless he absolutely had to, he would have never had a conversation with someone who was a Gentile. 
And he never would have sat down to eat or to stay in the same house with someone who was not a Jew, someone who was a Gentile. Now, Paul is writing to this church, a majority of whom are Gentiles in Rome, and he's using this incredibly warm, familiar, loving language. If you will, let's read it again, because we can't look at it too much. Starting in verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. Now, now read this listening that this is a man who has never met probably a single one of these believers, or at least the most of the believers here in Rome. I, I asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Before that, he said, I, I mention you always in my prayers for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, what would cause Paul to be talking to believers in Rome who are Gentile believers whenever he's a Jew, who are people that he's never met before, what would cause him to be speaking in such like warm language and to say like, hey, I'm always praying for you and giving thanks for you. I'm always, I'm longing to come and see you. And, and, and how, why is he doing that? And, and that would cause me to kind of think as I've been thinking about this and reading this week is like, I think Paul had a very different understanding of church than most of us have. In fact, I think the early believers in Christianity had a very different thought about church than, than we do, most of us do. If we're gonna be honest, and this is a safe place, just to be honest, we're in a gym of a YMCA, let's just be honest with each other, how do we think about church? I don't know why being in a gym of YMCA would make it a safe place, but let's just, this is a safe place we're on a basketball court, right? We're just gonna talk, have a conversation with you and me about how do you and I really think, really think? Not the right answer. I'm not talking about the Sunday school answer, right? It's always Jesus. And you know, what, what is the real answer that how do you and I think about church and what it is? I think most of us think about church like it's, uh, and it's, it's hard not to, like church is almost like a corporation. It's almost like a a restaurant or a service that's being offered to me. And so like, so whenever I wake up and I decide like, hey, I'm gonna go to church, so I'm gonna go to this church and try this church out. Have you ever used this language? Like, I'm gonna go and try this church out, and then I'm gonna go try this church out, and then I'm gonna go try this church out, and I'm gonna find the church, and what are we trying out? I'm gonna find the church that matches my taste, right? Uh, you like Mediterranean food, and you're gonna try out these different restaurants and find the one that makes it to your taste. Megan and I like Thai food, and we're gonna try out different restaurants. We have our favorite Thai place that we go to because they make the dishes the way that we like them, like them to be made. And so we end up going to the church that sings in a way that we like for them to sing, or the guy talks in a way that we like for them to talk, or the coffee tastes the way that I, I want it to taste, or the people greet me as I park my car in the way that I like to be greeted. Like, I, I, some of you like people to be right in your business and welcome you. Some of you want some more space. And you're like, hey, that church is all about my business. I don't want to go back there. Or that, hey, that church gives me space. I like to be there. Like you find a place that, that meets your, I like how they do their kids. Or I like the, whatever the, the, the thing that it is about, each of us kind of find it. Sort of we shop churches like we shop health clubs or restaurants. I, I like how things are going there. I'm gonna plug in there. And then when things aren't going the way I like it anymore, when that Thai place that Maggie and I go to, when they change the recipe and the, they change the chef and they're not making it the same way anymore, then I'm not gonna go back there again. But is that how Paul and the early Christians thought about church? Is that how, what they thought church was? And if it's not, then how is it different? What we're going to see this morning is that Paul and the early Christians that he's writing to, and the churches he was planting, Paul and the early Christians believed that, first of all, that the church is a place where you find grace. Secondly, that the church is a, a fellowship. And thirdly, that the church is a family. And we're going to see how that differs from the way that you and I often see church. The church is where you find grace. The church is a fellowship. And the church is a family. 
First of all, let's look and see how Paul and the early Christians would have viewed church as a place that you find grace. So as we mentioned, Paul's been traveling all over the Eastern Mediterranean. He's been planting churches for 25 years. He's been shipwrecked and beaten multiple times along the way. Now he's on the last leg of his journey, and he's heading back to his homeland. You would think, man, I'm th- he's like, man, after 25 years of that, I'd be thinking, like, I'm ready to put my feet up. I'm, I mean, after a few hours here on Sunday morning, I'm ready to get home and put my feet up. I'm like, when I get done here, I get a little bit cranky at the end, like we're starting to end up packing up, because uh, uh, I get, I'm a little hangry, I'm a little hungry, I'm a little irritable, and I'm tired, because I've been up since early this morning, and I mean, I'm just ready to, I'm ready to do this thing. And Paul, yet for some reason, he's not ready to put his feet up after 25 years. And he's writing to this, the believers in Rome, and he's saying, I long to come to you. Why would he want to go through all of this traveling again as he's on his way back home? Why would he be wanting to, he says, I'm longing to come and visit you. I've been praying for you constantly and consistently without ceasing is the word that he uses. Without stopping, I've been continually praying for you. And why does he say he wants to do that? He says, verse 11, for I long to see you that, so here's the reason, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That word spiritual gift there is the same word in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 where it talks about the spiritual gifts. But in this case, that's not what he's talking about. So to figure out like, all right, what is Paul talking about? If he's saying like, I'm longing to come visit you, a group of people that I've never met before, though I've been thanking God for you, and I'm, why would he be longing to come to them in order to impart some spiritual gift to them? Well, that word there in the Greek is the word charisma, and that, the heart of that word charisma is the charis, which means grace. It's a gracious gift. So here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I long to come to you because I'm praying that God would use me to impart to you grace from me to you. And here, here's why Paul is saying that. First of all, Paul is the apostle sent to the Gentiles. And he's saying, I need to get to you, this Gentile church in Rome, because God has gifted me as the apostle to the Gentiles with a gift, and I need to come and impart that to you. And it doesn't matter if it means I'm going to have to go through months and months of travel, hard travel, maybe more shipwrecks, maybe more beatings to get to you because I long to see God glorified and I long to see his church build up and I need to get to you so I can impart. There's a a gift that God has planted in me, a grace that God has given me and I need to get to you to give it to you. And here's what was really motivating Paul in order to do that because you see, first of all, we receive grace from the apostles teaching us the gospel. Paul wanted to come to them to make sure that they were rooted and grounded in the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 3. Now I would remind you, brothers, as Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you now stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Here's what Paul's saying. I have the gospel, which is the message that Jesus came and died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that is the cornerstone that God builds his church on. And it's that that saves us and nothing else. There is salvation found in no other name. There's no other way to be saved. Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith. As believers, he's the cornerstone that our life is built on. That's why we sing. Have you ever wondered like why we're singing about building materials in that song, Cornerstone? We're... Why would, and maybe you're not, maybe you're new to Christianity or you're not a Christian or whatever, and you're like, hey, why are they singing about, like, why would they be excited about Jesus being the cornerstone? And and here's the reason, because it's saying that Jesus is the cornerstone, the foundation upon which our faith is. That means the gospel is the only way to be saved. 
believing and accepting the gospel that Jesus Christ came to die for our sins is the foundation of our faith. And there is no salvation found in any other name. The testimony about who Jesus was and what he did was passed down from the apostles all the way down to us now through scripture. And it's that grace that we build our faith upon. Because the the gospel is a story about grace. It's about unmerited favor that Christ has shown to us by giving his life for us when we did not deserve it and do not deserve it on our own. Any grace that we receive flows from that foundation alone. And so the question that comes to us then, what are you trying to build your life upon and what are you trying to build on that foundation with? Paul wrote to the, also to the church in Corinth in, earlier in that book, and he said, hey, I've planted the gospel, I've laid the foundation, which is Jesus Christ, but let each person be careful how he builds upon that foundation, because what you build on that foundation with, will, and one day it will be shown, it'll be made clear what you have built with, whether you've built with gold, silver, or precious stone, that means things that cannot be burned with fire, or if you've built upon the foundation with, with straw and hay and stubble, that which can be burned and can be consumed. He says, let each person be careful how they build. You know how you build upon your life? It's the decisions that you make every day. It's what you decide you're gonna build and plant your life upon. It's what you're gonna deciding each day, this is what I'm gonna be about today. And then the next day, this is what I'm gonna be about today. This is what I'm gonna be, am I gonna be about my career or my name or my reputation? Am I gonna be about my academic, uh, my academic uh, career? And is it gonna be about who I'm seeing and who I'm not seeing? Is it gonna be about what heads are turning my way because I'm attractive or I'm not? Is, what are you building your foundation upon? Is it gold, silver, precious stones, or is it wood, hay, or straw? Jesus, Paul said, what you build upon that foundation, that foundation with will be made clear on the day that Christ returns because everything that's not of Christ will be consumed and everything that is of him will remain. What does your house look like that you're building today? How sure is it? Have you built upon the foundation? Are you building upon the foundation of Jesus if you profess him to be your Lord? Are you building upon it with gold, silver, and precious stones or with wood, hay, or straw? Paul says the day, it will be made clear. And you know what happens to us? It's a grace that God gives us is that he brings smaller days that show us how we're building and what we're building with, whether it's gonna last or not. You get a phone call from the doctor, and all of a sudden, you're sick or your loved one is sick. Your spouse turns to you and says, I don't love you anymore. Your child, something's going wrong with them. or The economy goes into a downturn. You get laid off, and all of a sudden, you find out, hey, I thought I was okay, but whenever that one wood, hay, or piece of wood, hay, or straw was removed from the, the structure, all of a sudden it started to collapse all around me and I don't know who I am anymore. That's a sign, that's a gracious gift from God to show us that we are building upon the foundation of Christ with wood, hay, or straw. We receive grace from the apostles' teaching, but we also receive grace at, from that, from the word and spirit. The church is where you find grace. Salvation comes to us, all of us as believers, it comes to us as outside of ourselves. None of us can make ourselves become a Christian. It's sort of like, have you ever had a, 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 like a, a cut or something in a place that uh, you couldn't get the Band-Aid without somebody helping you get the Band-Aid on? Or you couldn't get, like, you couldn't get a jacket on or off without somebody coming and, and helping you do that? that that is what salvation is like. Salvation never exists in a, va- in a vacuum. It comes from outside of ourselves. It comes from the word and the spirit, the word of God, the good news of who Jesus was and what he did, and the spirit of God working from outside us to cause us to see the truth of who we are and who Jesus was and is. Ephesians 1, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, 
who's the guarantee of our inheritance. We receive grace from the word and spirit. It comes from outside of ourselves. And here's why we need the church. We need the church because that's where the gospel is proclaimed and shared by people outside of us. There is no concept in Christianity, no concept in the Bible, no concept in the history of the world of a believer who lived in a vacuum on your own. We, low in America, we have a sense of radical individualism. And we want, the way that we view the world is our, my family and my friends and my workplace and my church all exist to help me become a better person and grow and be the person that I think I can be and that I should be. And that, there's a, and that is such a radically upside down way to view the church. I need the, you, not just so I can be better, but I need you because I, can, there, I cannot exist as a Christian apart from you being with me and helping me walk this thing out. I need you to come and proclaim the word and I need the spirit to move through you to me so I can become a believer and so I can stay a believer. I need the church because I receive grace from the ministry of those who are gifted by God to do it. 1 Thessalonians 1, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. You know what Paul's saying? The way you and I receive grace as, as Christians is not out on our own, just having our own wonderful, God will speak and move and having our own wonderful time in the word and prayer alone. But I need and you need people, men and women who God has gifted to teach and to sing and to lead to help us be all that God has called us to be. We cannot exist outside of the church on our own. It is, it, look, there's nothing wonderful or powerful or great in me, but our prayer is that as I or any person gets up in front of you guys to speak, that it's not something that I have to impart to you from myself, but I stand up and I pray that the Lord meets us in this place and he speaks somehow in a miracle in my own weak words, in my own weak personality, in my own weak study to us to strengthen us by his power. And you need that. Not because you need me, but because you need God through whoever stands up here. I need, whenever I come here on Sunday morning, I need somebody to lead me in worship so I can hear the melody and I can read the words and it can stir my soul and remind me what I've forgotten through the week of how glorious Christ is, how amazing grace is, how weak I am on my own, but how incredibly I love, I am loved by the Father who has brought me into his family. I need that. I, we need the church because we need the grace that is, that is given by those who are gifted and we need the grace that comes just from each other. From whenever we gather and we talk before and after the service, whenever we talk to each other during the week and we're texting when we gather in community group, Paul is saying, I long to come to you because I want to impart a spiritual gift to you, not just so that I can impart, he says, but that we can be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. And what he's saying is saying that we enjoy God through each other. And there's no way that you can fully enjoy God on your own except through the life of other believers in your life. As we gather together, we gather together with a concept, God, would you speak through me? Would you help me impart a spiritual gift to the people around me this morning? And would you impart a spiritual gift to me through them? We come hungry and we come ready to serve and ready to, for God to speak and lead through me in whatever weak way that is. Some of us that's standing in front of people. Some of us that's a quiet conversation. Some of it is simply, you know what? There's a ministry in simply reaching out and touching and hugging someone and showing them the love of Christ. You don't have to have anything great to say. Sometimes it's talking with somebody who's going through a difficult time and shedding a tear with them that God imparts a spiritual gift to them through your sharing of their burden. We need the church because grace comes to us through the church, through the ministry of each other. It's called the, it's called the priesthood of all believers. 
In 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, it says that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. The truth is there's no such thing as a casual Christian. There's no such thing as a casual Christian. And there's no such thing as a Christian who's casually connected to God's church. You know what Jesus calls his church? He calls it his bride. And there's no such thing as, a, as a, someone who loves the Lord who's only casually connected with his bride. There's no such thing. And, and maybe you're in a place where you're not growing as a believer. Maybe you're in a place where you're not experiencing joy in your walk, and there could be lots of reasons. But I want to tell you this. If you are only casually committed to the church of God, I mean, if you're not in deep with people as we're getting ready to see, then it could be that your lack of joy and your lack of growth is you aren't connected to the church where you receive grace to grow as a believer. The same way I become a believer, believing the gospel of Jesus Christ and repenting of my sin is the same way that I grow as a believer. And that comes from people speaking to me from outside of myself and sharing the gospel and the love of God to me because I cannot do it alone on my own. There are some of us who have bought into the idea that for me to be deeply involved in church, in the life of God's church, it steals time away from what's more important what's most important. Steals away time from my family or from myself or from my career. And let me just ask you this question, and maybe it answers itself, but would God design something as central to salvation, as central to the believer as the church, if whenever it's lived out correctly, actually steals from what's most important in our lives? Or would he design something as important as the church so it actually adds and deepens the things that are important in my life? There are some of you, your marriages, your relationships, your walk with the Lord are hanging on by a thread. And it could be, I'm not saying it would make it, it would fix it like that, I'm saying, but it could be that it's continuing to flounder because you're not hearing the wisdom and the, having, experiencing the love of God's church and his believers, his family around you day by day by day. The church is where you find grace. It's where the grace comes to us from God through each other as believers. And it's where, where else can you be among a people who are cognizant of the fact that their actions have brought nothing but, but to the deservement of hell, and yet they have been saved graciously and amazingly by a loving God. That's a place you can be real and find grace and compassion. And whenever the church looks like that, people are longing to be a part. Christians are counting down the time so we can get back together with each other because that the grace of God is found there. The church is also a fellowship. L listen to the wording that Paul uses in verse eight. He says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Ever, ever thought about that? When you thought about the people at church? Man, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Verse nine. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of the Son that without ceasing I mention you always. I mention you always in my prayers. He had a, a burden, a love for them that caused him to pray without ceasing for them. Verse 11, he says, I long to see you. The wording there is affectionate and loving. I long to see you. Verse 12, that we may be mutually encouraged together. The picture that we're getting there is the picture of, a, of what's called felt the fellowship of believers or the community of believers. So we have it as the, one of our pillars at Doxa, community. And the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible says, this is the essence of the Christian life, fellowship with God 
and fellowship with other believers in Christ. Uh, the picture there in fellowship, it, it's hard to get to the meaning in the, the Greek. It means, it, it means a deep participation and a sharing with each other. It means an interconnectedness with each other. It doesn't just mean a people that I come and I have some coffee with and say, how was your week? How was your week? And, you know, we then say goodbye and we talk about the football and then, you know, I'll see you next week. It has a picture of a, a deep mutual affection and a intermixing of our lives together. It's the picture of togetherness. If you, if you remember, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, at the beginning there, it says that the believers were together and had all things in common. The, that's the picture of fellowship. It's a picture of, of a tightly knit lives together. It's a togetherness. The, uh, having in commonness. It's the, it, it is a life sharing together. The, the essence of Christianity is a fellowship, a deep sharing, a communion or community or intermingling between God and me, but also between then me and the other believers. A deep togetherness. There's no, and there's no one without the other. You can't get a deep connectedness with other people without having the gospel change you through the connection with Christ. And you cannot have a connection with Christ and not have a deep connection with other believers. It doesn't exist. It has to be both. Throughout the history of Christianity, the most outstanding thing about Christianity has been the Christian's love for one another. A love for one another that would cause them to sacrifice. A love that would cause them, there's nowhere in the Bible that say you have to sell all that you have and share everything in common. It doesn't say that anywhere. If you're a part of any church that says there's a command for you to do that, it's then a cult and you should leave. But you know what it does? has an even more beautiful picture. There's no command. But it's a picture of a people who are so moved by the love of God and a love that then that comes for each other, that it doesn't count what is mine as mine. If you have a need, it's yours. It's the, the picture of giving you the actual tunic or shirt or cloak off of my back if I know that you have need of it. And not looking for any strokes or any, any thanks. And that can be hard sometimes, right? So we, we are... Uh, hoping to adopt this new baby daughter, and uh, we are moving her in, and it's been a, a been a long process to try to, because we've been in this house for over 10 years, and we have accumulated a bunch of junk. And so we had to move Sophia into the room that had, well, they all had it, but the room that had a lot of junk, and then we had to do something with that junk, and we had to move it to a different place, and so we can move Eliza into Sophia's old room, and it's just a lot of junk, and a lot of moving, and a lot of stuff, and man, I, I, we were trying to do some stuff, and then I got the place like, hey, I need some help, and so I sent out a text this week to the guys in my community group, say, hey, can anybody help, either this Friday or Saturday, and come and spend some time and help us move some stuff, and some guys showed up. And they showed up and took, and, and, I, and as we're working hard and doing this stuff, like, I'm, I'm thinking like, man, these guys took time away from their Saturday to come do something I hate doing, moving things around. And you know what, I, I, as we we're saying goodbye and we're wrapping up, everything inside me wanted to say, not just thank you, which I did, but it wanted to say, hey, hey I owe you. Let me, I need to figure out some way to, to pay you back. But I held myself back and didn't do it. You know why? Because that would be an insult to them. Because that's not the picture of Christian community. It's not, hey, you do something for me, and so therefore I do it back. It's, hey, Christ has done everything for me, and so I will do whatever you need, and you don't owe me a thing. Please don't mention it ever again. Please pretend that you don't even know that it came from me, because all that he has given me is, I can never even pay that back. And when I see you, another son or daughter of the king with a need, man, I am gonna put it all on the line. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to count it as my own anymore. I've let you borrow something. I'm not going to wonder, like, hey, why is it brought it back? I'm going to consider it, hey, you can, you can keep it. It's yours. It's a life, deep life sharing with each other. The church is a fellowship. The picture here is of unconditional and bridge-crossing love. Get a picture here. Paul, 
a Jew, a Jew of the Jews is writing to a Gentile church and he's using words of love and affection to them. He said, I, I long to cross the entire Mediterranean at whatever cost that may cost me to get to you, to share life with you, to, so that we may be mutually encouraged because love was motivating him. It was unconditional because Christ's love for us is unconditional and it's bridge crossing because Christ crossed all kinds of bridges to come to us, right? He left heaven for us. He came for us whenever we were rebels against him. He crossed every imaginable bridge and therefore the Christian love for each other, the fellowship that we have with each other is an unconditional and bridge crossing love. It's a love that says, hey, your background and your lifestyle is very different from me, but I'm gonna do whatever I have to to cross any chasm between you and me because Christ crossed all the chasms to me. I'm gonna love you unconditionally. I'm not expecting anything in return. That's hard, right? Unconditional love says I'm willing to take, I'm willing to take the punches that you throw at me and I'm not gonna throw punches back. I'm gonna love you unconditionally and I'm gonna cross bridges to cross you, to love you. The source is God's unconditional bridge crossing love for us through Jesus and that produces an affection and a longing for fellow believers. Do you long for your fellow believers? You long to be around them, to hear from them, to minister to them, to let you minister to them, to share with them. Do you long for that? The picture there is, is of a common participation in each other's lives. Church is not a corporation. It isn't a group of people offering a service to you. It is a common participation of people in each other's lives and the mission of God. That's what the church is. A common participation of people in each other's lives and on the mission of God. So how is this kind of fellowship built? How do, we, how do we build this kind of fellowship? How do we build this kind of community as believers? Well, there's four things. First of all, I think we have to gather together. You can't love people that you're not in relationship with. I was talking with a friend the past couple of weeks, and it's interesting how there's no way to really know if you're growing as a believer, apart from being around people, and apart from being around people that actually kind of a little bit or maybe a lot get on your nerves. Because you don't know if you're growing in joy and peace. You don't know if you're grow growing in forgiveness and grace. If you're not around people that don't needle you a little bit. And you can't have that happen if you're not actually around people. And around people who aren't just like you. We have to gather together. The, the history of Christianity is the believers who love God so much that they, that they love each other that they can't wait to be around each other. They can't wait to gather with you. Can't, can't wait to get together. That is oftentimes worship. That might be Bible studies. That might be, that would certainly be corporate worship and community groups. That's a great starting point for us as believers. But you know what? It goes beyond that. It goes deeper than that. Because I can come on Sunday and I can even come on a community group during the week and kind of like you guys, but it's easy for me to pull away because it's just a few hours and then it's a couple hours in the middle of the week and I can go do my own thing, right? And it's sort of an intermingling, it's a gathering together. We gather and then we share. We share our hearts, we share our time, and we share our goods. This fellowship is built by gathering together and sharing together. That's why we not every group can do it, but we really encourage our community groups to have meals together because there's something about getting together with people and eating together, a sharing of life together that starts to bridge something beyond something that's casual. We gather, we share, and then we participate. You have a part to play. You have a role to play. You have a gift to offer to this church and to the church at large. And without you plugging in and participating, I'm not talking about just we need nursery workers, though, by the way, we do need nursery workers. You can see Jennifer. But I'm not talking about simply hands to do jobs. 
I'm talking about a longing to come to be with people and saying, I'm going to come and I'm a part. I'm going to pray that the Lord would give me something that I can impart to the people around me that would enrich them and build them up. And I'm praying the Lord would do the same through them to me. And we're going to participate each other. Every one of us has a part to play, a load to bear, and a gift to use. Every single one of us. A part to play, a load to bear, and a gift to use. We gather we share, we participate, and then lastly, and I think this can't be underplayed, we stay. I was reading a book this week, and there was a quote. He said, those who stay grow, and those who don't, don't. Those who stay grow, and those who don't, don't. And what the, what the picture of that is is that, man, sometimes you're going to really get on my nerves Sometimes I'm going to really do something that's really going to hurt you. And it's not even going to be by accident. I'm going to, on purpose, do something that's going to hurt you. I'm just let you know, that's going to happen. I, Randy, am going to do something that's going to hurt you at some point. That's going to disappoint you at some point. And the easy thing to do is to say, hey, I'm going to pick up my bag and I'm going to go over here where nobody's hurt me yet. But you know what happens? We don't grow that way. We don't get a chance to work through things together. You don't get to find out, hey, why did that hit me the way that it did? And I don't get a chance to say, why did I do that to that person? And to look in each other's eyes day after day and week after week and figure out, how do we figure out how to live together as believers in this fellowship whenever I, you know I've done this to you and I know I've done this to you. I know I've hurt you and you've hurt me. I don't really like you and you don't really like me. How are we going to work through this? How is God going to speak to me and grow me and grow you as a believer unless we just stay? And that leads to this last point. Really quickly, the church is a family. Paul writes to them and he says, verse 13, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers. The wording there is, it, it can cross both as both brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters I've intended to come to you. He calls them brothers and sisters. Again, speaking to Gentiles who would have had nothing in common with him and his background, who he hasn't even met yet. Have you thought about that? And he writes them and says, I'm calling you my brothers and my sisters. This is the most common description of the church that's found in the Bible, is family. And here's how that works. Jesus brings us into his family. God the Father, Jesus by his sacrifice on our behalf, we are, the scripture says we are adopted into the family as sons and daughters of the Father through the sacrifice of Jesus. So what that means too is that we belong to the family of God and it means that we belong together in the family of God. I said it before, if God's your father and God is my father, what does that make us? It makes us brothers and sisters. We belong into the family. But, but here's the next step that happens after that. So every person in here who's a believer, whether I've met you or not, you are my brother or sister in Christ. That's a beautiful thing, right? But I don't know if you've ever experienced it at a family reunion or just Thanksgiving dinner or even like, Daily at your house. It's a difference between being a family and learning what it means to live like a family. God unites us from very different backgrounds and from very different lifestyles, and we are all brought into the same family. And you know what that means? That's a recipe for disagreements and disgruntledness and confusion and frustrations. Welcome to the body of Christ. Most of the New Testament is written by Paul to churches that are, that are trying to figure out how do we live together when we're having disagreements and problems with each other. Here's what the picture is. The picture is that there are going to be tough seasons. The picture is there are going to be disagreements and misunderstandings. We're not always going to get see eye to eye, and we will get hurt. If you stay, you will get hurt. I'm going to say it again. You will get hurt, but there's no replacement for family. And whenever you figure out how do we live together as a family, 
whenever we don't always see the eye to eye, that's when the beauty comes in. And when I say the church is family, I don't mean it in some like ethereal, like God's my father. I mean, really, the church is our family. Uh, my, my dad was physically present, but emotionally absent growing up in, in my home. And he wasn't there. I, I remember, uh, you know, I remember coming home and, and begging him, hey, would you, would you play catch with me? And him being too tired, not having time. He was never around. I didn't know at the time, but found out later on, he was living a whole like separate life outside the family. So no wonder he was tired. He was partying and doing whatever all the time. When he got home, he was tired. And what God did for me though, is he brought in the family of believers around me that took the place of my father and took it to the next level. The night, before, the day before Megan and I got married, it wasn't my dad by blood that took me aside and had the honeymoon talk. It was the man who was, that God had brought into my life who was my mentor, who was a, a father figure to me. He, he modeled to me his, through his marriage and his relationship with his kids and and then even by his interaction with me, he modeled what a godly man looked like and he filled the place. And he wasn't the only one. There are multiple spiritual fathers, spiritual dads that God has brought into my life. My, my wife, Megan, her mother was very absent and God brought many families because she's a broken home. God brought many families and several key spiritual mothers into her life. The, the, maybe the biggest of which was, happened to be my mother. That's how Meg and I kind of got to know each other. It's kind of weird, like mom became, my mother became like a spiritual mother to Meg and I ended up dating my sister and we got married. That sounds really weird. That's not what I'm promoting. But I am promoting the fact that like we're members of the same family. We're supposed to be like, yeah. God brings together his sons and daughters to be husbands and wives. Like it's, but it's a beautiful thing, right? And my, my mom filled a role for my, for my future wife to help her find healing through Christ so that she would be fit and, I would be, and we would be ready to be married. Some of you experience the same thing. The church isn't just some like thing that you come in and you, you have the, you know, and then you go home like a time clock the church is family. The church is family for all of us, whether we experience that or not. Jesus told a story. I'm going long, Dale. I apologize. I don't know why I'm apologizing to Dale. Jesus told a story about a son who basically told his father, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance give me my portion, which would be half, almost half the estate. And he took that and he went away and it says that he spent it on riotous, uh, he mean, that means riotous living, it means he partied it up. He wasted a wealthy man's, almost half of the wealthy man's estate partying. And it said that finally one day he came to himself and he went back home and he was going to ask his dad, just let me be a slave in your household. And it says the father was standing, watching, and he saw him coming from afar. And he ran to him and he put on his cloak and he put the ring on his finger and said, my son who was dead is now alive. The, the sad part of the story is the older brother said, man, dad, I'm angry with you because that son went out and wasted everything. He spent half your fortune partying and now you're welcoming a home and I've been here all the time and you've never done anything for me. And the father said, you've had me the whole time. But here's what Jesus did. Jesus was the older brother who saw his father's heart broken over the son who had gone away 
and had wasted his life on riotous living. And Jesus, the older brother, said, I will spend my inheritance to go get him and bring him home. That's how Jesus creates his family. He saw you and he saw me out doing our own thing, spending our inheritance, wasting it away. And he told the father, I'll go get him. And that's how you've been, and been adopted into the family of God. This morning, have you been brought into the family by the older brother? Or are you still running? There's no access to the grace that's found in the church. There's no access to the fellowship and the deep sharing. There's no access to the family of God apart through the Son. The call, his call to you is would you bow your knee to him, confess him as Lord, and be brought home today? And then for all the rest of us who are believers, we've been brought in by our dear elder brother. He gave his life for his church. Let's come and let's make the church all that he's called it to be by live, finding out what it looks like to live out together as a family, living in deep fellowship. And here's the final thing that happens. Do you hear what Paul said at the very beginning of that section? He said, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because why? Because your faith has been proclaimed in all the world. That kind of community, that kind of fellowship is captivating to the world. And God will use us as we live that kind of life to reach the world around us as they see the love of God shed abroad in his family for his glory and for our joy. I'm gonna pray and we're gonna open up the front to celebrate the work that our elder brother has done. The, the beautiful thing that as we come and partake is that we all partake of the bread and we all partake of the cup and that's a picture of the unity together. It's part of the reason why we take the cracker, which is what you'll do is you come from the outside, you take the cracker and we dip it in the, the common cup. The reason that we do that is, this, is a picture that we all drink from the same cup as Jesus Christ and all that he's done for us. Let's partake of that together and then let's together as a family celebrate Jesus Christ and all he has done for us. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.